Hello and welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Show. It's Monday. It's Monday. We're looking at Mark chapter 8, um, yeah, which is a very long chapter. So I'm going to read, not going to read all of it. I'm going to read verse 27. So this is Mark 8, verse 27. I'm going to pray first. Heavenly Father, help us to see um, Jesus in this passage where he's leading us to to the cross we pray this in jesus name amen mark 8 27 jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around caesarea philippi on the way he asked them who do people say i am they replied some say john the baptist others elijah still others one of the prophets but what about you he asked who do you say i am Peter answered, You are the Christ, Jesus warned them, not to tell anyone about it. So, um, yeah. Right answer, you know, you are the Christ, but Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Interesting response from Jesus. But before the right answer, we get three wrong answers. This is the popular opinion, you know, who do people say I am? The popular opinion amongst everyone else who are kind of guessing, you know, where did this guy come from? Why is he why is he able to do all these miracles? And they give three answers. John the Baptist, um, that's an interesting one. John died <laughs> back in chapter six, so I guess they suppose he rose from the dead again. That's what Herod thought in his paranoia that Jesus was John the Baptist rose from the dead. So that's theory number one. Um, Elijah. Uh, that's an inter interesting one. Old Testament prophet who was taken up to heaven in this chariot of fire. Or one of the prophets. That's that's expected. That's the safe one. If today you say Jesus is a prophet, most people would not disagree. But for Peter to say you are the Christ, and then for Jesus to say, hey, don't tell anyone about this. Um, it's... It's a big deal. It's a, it is because he's the first human being in all of history to ever confess Jesus as Christ. You know, not even John the Baptist saw Jesus as um, God's king, you know, God's ultimate king to rule over God's kingdom. That's who the Christ is. Peter says, you're that guy. Uh, Jesus, verse 31, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So the key word there is the word must. He must be rejected, he must suffer, he must be killed. Uh, this is almost the requirement for Jesus to be the Christ. Uh, he must be rejected as the Christ. But Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to scold him. Uh, verse 33, what, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind things of God. Do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Um, calls him Satan, says you do not have in your mind the things of God. And you would expect him to say the things of Satan are in your mind, but he says the things of men. And it's interesting to see how Satan operates in our minds. He influences us with popular opinions with human thinking and not God thinking. He doesn't have to get us to think about evil things. He just needs to get us to think about 
human, popular, normal things, and that is enough to be influenced by Satan, apparently. Yeah, really strong words. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, <clears throat> "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it." Very counterintuitive. You want to save your life, you're going to die. But if you lose your life, you give your life. That leads to salvation. Very counterintuitive. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So there is no point exchanging your life, your existence, your soul for all the money in the world. And it's striking that Jesus says this because I guess that's what we do. You know, if someone gave us you know a whole bag of money or you know everything you ever dreamed of, you're working for at work. And we say, oh, that's worth it for my life. And Jesus says, no, it isn't. And that's silly. You know, of course, it's not worth giving your life for that dream. You know, that career, that job, that relationship, that happiness. Because what good is it? You can't enjoy it. You've lost your soul. Verse thirty-eight. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, and this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. Ashamed, ashamed, ashamed of Jesus. Jesus will be ashamed of him. And so it's not just saying ashamed of Jesus when he comes then. You know, of course, when you see Jesus coming with angels and glory, he's like, oh no, no, yay, Jesus, I'm in your team. But it's talking about being ashamed of Jesus now. He doesn't look like a king. He's going to die on a cross. You know, it's so unpopular to follow Jesus now. And if you're ashamed of him now, he will be ashamed of you then when he comes in power. So it's all about recognizing Jesus as he truly is. He is the Christ, but he's the rejected Christ. He is the Christ on the cross that no one else wants to follow. Everyone doesn't believe in. But will you believe in this Christ? Will you follow him all the way to the cross? Yeah, yeah. Heavenly Father, help us to do that. Um, to think for ourselves, you know, who uh, it is that we claim to be. Our God, our King, our Savior is this Jesus, who is crucified, and to see that that's so important for us to see Him that way. Help us to see that, to um, confess that, not to be ashamed of that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.